Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Um, well, as I've mentioned during Lent, we've been on a, on a journey of seeking to understand faith through the lens of lament. Um, we've discovered that these poems of lament in the scriptures, in this book called Lamentations, help give expression uh, to suffering. They provide a place of, of resonance for those that have walked through trauma. Uh, and ultimately what these things show us is that God is invited into these spaces of our suffering in order to do God's redemptive work. Uh, the, the real point, the real thrust of Lamentations is that it gives expression to the human experience and says that even in these spaces, God reaches in and does redemptive work. I have found, uh, even though the book on the surface is very, very discouraging because of its context, I have found tremendous hope uh, teaching and preaching through it. Uh, There's something unique about these poems that Grace uh, touched on last week that I want to expand on just a little bit. Uh, And that is that the first, second, uh, and fourth poems all follow what is called an alphabet structure. Uh, They're each 22 verses long, and there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, And so each verse begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, And so while the poems are describing lots and lots of chaos, they're actually structured in very ordered, organized, and neat ways. Uh, Now, the third poem actually follows the same structure, but expands it a bit. It's the longest poem in the book. Uh, And so instead of just one verse per letter, there are three verses given to each letter in the Hebrew alphabet, meaning that chapter three is 66 verses. Um, and you might, now I'm not telling you this because uh, this is just kind of cute information to know, right? Uh, I'm telling you this because it actually points us to part of the meaning uh, of the poems themselves. That these poems, while they describe chaos and disorder, do it in a very ordered and organized way. So while the world of the poet is completely out of control, the poet communicates this chaos in a totally controlled or organized way, as if to say, this is the one thing I can control. You with me? Right? Like, have you ever been in a situation in your life where it just feels like your life is spiraling out of control? Isn't it true that we grasp onto the one thing that we feel like we can control? Here's another way of thinking about it. Uh, It's as though the Israelite people are venting their anger, their frustration, their grief. They're they're venting that to God as though to say, here is our suffering from A to Z. (laughs) It's just like God can handle honesty. God can handle this spelling out of suffering from A to Z. Uh, Now that that, that, um, structure changes in chapter 5, which we'll talk about next week. 
So with that kind of little bit of, little bit, uh, of uh, context in mind, I want to invite us to read a portion of Lamentations chapter 4. And I want to read verses 2 through 9. Lamentations chapter 4, uh, verses 2 through 9, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, See how the precious children of Jerusalem, worth their weight in fine gold, are now treated like pots of clay made by a common potter. Even the jackals feed their young, but not my people Israel. They ignore their children's cries like ostriches in the desert. The parched tongues of the little ones stick to the roof of their mouths in thirst. And the children cry for bread, but no one has any to give them. The people who once ate the richest foods now beg in the streets for anything they can get. Those who once wore the finest clothes now search the garbage dumps for food. The guilt of my people is greater than that of Sodom, where utter disaster struck in a moment and no hand offered help. Our princes once glowed with health, brighter than snow, whiter than milk. Their faces were as ruddy as rubies, their appearance as fine as jewels. But now their faces are blacker than soot. No one recognizes them in the streets. Their skin sticks to their bones. It's as dry and as hard as wood. Those killed by the sword are better off than those who die in hunger. Starving, they waste away for lack of food from the fields. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, having just heard an incredible word of hope toward the end of chapter 3, and you'll remember that the only sign of hope in the entire book of Lamentations is, in fact, when the author declares that God's mercies are new every morning. But after declaring that incredible word of hope, chapter 4 takes a turn and goes deeper into lament. So any thought that the book was kind of churning a corner into more hopeful ground is quickly put away. Uh, this poem makes consistent comparison between the, the way things were in the past and the way things are now during the Jerusalem siege. You remember the specific historical context of Lamentations is that when the people of Israel uh, living in Jerusalem were, had the the Babylonian army come and lay siege to the city. For a year and a half, there was violence, war, famine, incredible suffering before they were then carted off into Babylon, into exile. It is by far the defining moment, the suffering moment for the people of Israel. And so... You think, oh, we're turning a corner toward hope, there's going to be good news, but in fact, it's just more and more lament. The point is that chapter 4 takes a deeper dive. Well, well so, so the poem does this. It makes this consistent comparison uh, between the way things were and the way things are now. And here are some of the author's reflections. Children used to play in the streets and laugh together, but now they are left to beg for food. The, the wealthy used to eat fancy meals only to find themselves now scavenging for food on the ground, even going into the trash. The leaders of the city were once filled with splendor, but now are dirty, ragged, and unrecognizable. Pretty wild reflections. And these are just some of the examples that, of course, the chapter 4 goes on and on and on, continuing to make these comparisons of the way things, how the way they were, and then how they are now. 
And the point, as I've mentioned, is that chapter 4 takes a deeper dive into lament. There is this swirling around of suffering because of injustice, because of sin, because of things beyond their control. It's like this stew of emotion and thoughts on why this is happening. And what I want to do this morning is I want to make three observations um, about these things. One of the first is just in general, kind of flying from 10,000 feet. And, and then the next two are specific to the verses that we read. Uh, but I want to make three observations um, this morning. Uh, the first one, kind of flying from 10,000 feet, what are we supposed to understand from this book that gives us a word of hope and then dives deeper into lament? What are we to take from that and how are we to understand that? Uh, because as Christians, uh, particularly as evangelical Christians, we don't do a very good job of lament, right? That's part of why we're doing this series is, is to try to bring a, a more full-bodied uh, expression of faith to the human experience. We, we want to go uh, quickly into hope, and what I want to actually argue this morning is that hope and lament can coexist, that they can, they can kind of be in tension with one another. So the first observation is this. The need for lament continues for as long as injustice and sin continue. The need for lament continues even for as long as injustice and sin continue. Maybe you've noticed in your life that life is not, does not always resolve the way that we had hoped. Situations don't always resolve the way that we want. Our lives aren't, aren't, aren't just this like neat uh, collection of predictable outcomes. You might find, you know, after many years of investment, in a family, the family still is unhealthy in destructive patterns. You might find that youth, discipled for years, can still make poor and destructive choices. You might even find that with passion and with diligence, the work toward justice and toward healing can still result in unjust systems and sinful systems. If you're not sure what I mean by that, or if you'd like to take a deeper dive into that, I commend to you the documentary called Poverty, Inc., uh, which looks at systems of global aid, while many are well-intentioned and do good work, sometimes actually keep people poor or actually are causes for greater poverty. Um, and so there's kind of this business to world aid. And so even well-meaning, justice-oriented, healing-oriented efforts can sometimes lead to unjust systems because life doesn't always pan out the way that we had always hoped or predicted. Life isn't a formula of predictable outcomes. The truth is, is that life is messy, it is complicated, and it is nuanced, right? And so Christians, though, haven't always understood this or always haven't been willing to understand this. Um, for those of you that were engrossed in Christian subculture of the early 2000s, uh, you might remember a book, uh, a little book, called The Prayer of Jabez. And uh, this book focused on a two-line prayer from, a, from an obscure Old Testament character uh, that we really know nothing about other than he prayed this prayer. And it took those two lines, that, that prayer, and turned in turned it into a whole theological system and also an industry of products. 
you probably read the book. You maybe had the bookmarks and posters and all the, all the things, right? Uh, there was no end to what you could kind of put the prayer of Jabez on. But what was this book and why did it become wildly popular? Well, it was a prayer that the book claimed that if you pray this prayer every day for 30 days, then God will have, and this is the words of the author, no choice but to bless you and expand your territory. If you hold up your end, God will thereby be obligated to hold up his end. Woof! <laughs> That's right. Okay, so the book became wildly popular, sold tens of millions of copies. And it was so popular because it, it did exactly this. It put forth a formula of predictable outcomes. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want your business to grow? Do you want your church to double in size in a year? Pray this prayer for 30 days and God has no choice but to do this for you. It will unlock God's blessings in your life. The subtitle of the book is even Breaking Through to the Blessed Life. <laughs> is the subtitle of the book. But, as the popularity of the book waned due to human experience, <laughs> we find that this book, in fact, wasn't true to the human experience. That life is not a collection of predictable outcomes. And, and so the fact that we have sort of this amazing word of hope in chapter 3, and we think, oh, it's just turning a corner into more and greater words of hope, but then in fact takes a deeper dive into lament, as I think just there to show us that there is cause for lament for as long as there is injustice and sin. And so while life, and this is where I want to hold the tension, right? Because some of you are getting nervous. Our pastor doesn't believe in hope or blessing. I believe in hope and God can bless you, I promise. Okay? <laughs> so I can see some of you like already composing the email, right? So, but let me hold this intention. While life is not a formula of predictable outcomes, I believe that we can rest in the hope of redemption. Life is not a formula of predictable outcomes, but we can rest in the hope of redemption. We can have hope that things will be made right by the Creator. And so while things aren't right, we lament as a way of faithfully engaging with God who will make all things new. So in this way, lament is not a loss of hope, but lament, and I want you to hear this, is an expression of hope. Lament is not the loss of hope, but rather lament is the expression of hope. It's, a, it's an engagement of relationship with God. It's an honesty with God that these are things that are wrong from A all the way to Z, being honest with God and then holding that intention with God, your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. Right? It's this powerful thing and so what this means is, just as the conditions for suffering persist, so does our lament. I, I'm doing this series to help introduce a language of lament to a group of Christians who, if, if, you're, uh, if you kind of grew up in modern evangelical church America, you probably didn't have language for lament. 
right? And so we're just trying to provide a little bit more language for hope and for faith. And our tendency is to say, this doesn't look like hope, this doesn't feel like faith, but I want us to recognize that in fact it is to be able to name the pain, name the suffering, and invite God's healing into it. Amen. Okay, so this does not then mean that we are overwhelmed by sadness or that we are overwhelmed by despair, but rather it just simply means that we have a full-bodied faith that is honest and willing to engage in the hard realities of life. And to me, that just feels a lot more authentic um, than kind of a hoo-ha faith, that everything always has to be right um, because I don't have permission for when things aren't, right? Okay, so that's the first observation. The second observation is this. The most revered among us are only human. <laughs> let me explain this, right? Because some of you are like, duh, right? Uh, but, but let me explain this. So look at verses 7 and 8. Uh, it says this, our princes... Our princes are those honored among us, the most revered among us. Our princes once glowed with health, brighter than snow, whiter than milk. Their faces were like rubies, their appearance like fine jewels. But now, but now, that's how things were. But now, but now things, they are, their faces are black as soot. No one recognizes them in the streets. Their skin sticks to their bones. It's as dry and as hard as wood. Right? There's a then and then there's a now. There's a before COVID and a COVID, right? If this ought, this ought to be like real true to the human experience. There was a then and now there's a now. And those two things are drastically different. And all of us together are trying to navigate and we're kind of hoping for the then, we're wrestling with the now, we're wondering what will be in the future, and will it be like that? Will it be different? How will this now, this moment, impact what is to come? And all of these kinds of things, right? So this, this idea of this lament of then and now maybe is a good exercise for you personally. If you find yourself emotionally overwhelmed by COVID, Maybe one spiritual exercise you could participate in is write your own lament and structure it like chapter four. There was a then, and now there's a now. And, and let's invite God's healing into the now. And let's seek to recognize how God is at work and how God is present in the now, even though it looks really different than the back then, right? Okay, so notice the contrast between these two verses. One, the princes of society in the picture are the picture of success and beauty, but now their face is suffering. They are brought low. They are made unrecognizable. And isn't it true that our culture and many cultures, I would say most cultures throughout history, have revered those who look the best or have the most as being the people of greatest worth? You either look the best or you have the most. If, and if you have both of those things, you are definitely revered in culture. You are deemed and given more value by the culture. Celebrity is the term that we use to describe this phenomenon. Okay, celebrity is the term that we use to describe the people that we revere as more valuable. And the Latin root of our word celebrity means honored. 
So we honor those who have the most. We honor those who have the most beauty or the most political power. But what this lament does is it says those who are most revered for their wealth or their power are revealed to be human just like us, just like you and I. They are revealed to be part of this thing called shared humanity. Now, this may not seem like much, but it it seems to me that our culture, American culture, is fascinated with celebrity. We have shows about celebrity. We have like people that are like, why are they famous? They're famous because they're famous. Like nobody even knows why they're famous, right? It's not like they they are an artist of some kind or singer, this or that. They're just famous because they're famous, right? And so what this is, this is, so imagine this. This lament reveals them as being only human, and they're saying they're in the streets, but completely unrecognizable. So imagine President Obama, President Trump, President Biden, any of them, or any living president, imagine them going into the streets and having no one recognize them. That would be something, wouldn't it? Or imagine Taylor Swift going to get groceries, and she just goes and gets groceries. Right? That would be quite a deal. That would be news in our culture. Right? It's like Taylor Swift went to get groceries and there wasn't a mob of cameras surrounding her trying to get pictures. Because, and she was able to do this because while appreciating her art, no one cared that she was getting groceries. Now, I know that none of you care about Taylor Swift getting her groceries, but trust me, millions of people like really care what celebrities are wearing that day, what they're doing that day, and where they're going that day. But, so imagine this world where celebrities just go in the streets and they're unrecognizable, or maybe even more far-fetched. We know who they are, but we recognize them as being of equal value and worth to everyone else and not greater value. We do not live in this world. We live in a world of celebrity. Lamentations chapter 4 challenges the celebrity impulse by pointing out that suffering and injustice are no respecter of celebrity or power or beauty or platform. There is this universality to the human experience. Now with this in mind, Consider what is theologically known as the incarnation of Christ. That is, the Word of God, the pre-existent Word of God, who is made flesh in the person of Jesus. God held the highest privilege and honor, and yet let all of that go in order to enter the human experience to experience the universality of what it means to be human. The creator God became unrecognizable and he entered into the injustice, the sin, and the brokenness in order that he might redeem it. So may we come to see Lamentations chapter 4 not just as a critique of celebrity, although it certainly is that, 
and maybe all the ways that celebrity culture has entered the church. But may we also see it as a reminder of what God has done for us in Christ. And then the third observation. It is the most vulnerable or the innocent who suffer the most. It's the innocent and most vulnerable who suffer the most. Verses 3 and 4 describe the toll that the siege has taken on the children of Jerusalem, which is pretty uncomfortable to read, particularly if you're a parent or if you have a child anywhere in the world that you love. (laughs) I think that probably captures all of us, right? That we read these verses about children being so thirsty that their tongues stick to the roof of their mouth. They're, They're hungry, but either no one does feed them or no one has any food to feed them, right? And these are difficult verses to read. And, and there's, it even points out that even animals feed their children, but the people of Jerusalem cannot, and their children are left hungry and thirsty. And this points us to the important truth. It is the most vulnerable who suffer the most in a broken world. It is the most vulnerable who suffer the most in a broken world. Have you noticed it is never the manager of a hedge fund who is waving his arms on his roof in a flood from a hurricane. It is not the ones with a steady job with insurance that flock to public health clinics during a pandemic. That it is suffering and disaster and injustice are all common to the human experience. That's what we learned in the second observation. The suffering is no like respecter of of status or power, and yet we hold that intention with that in times of brokenness in the world, it is the most vulnerable who suffer the most. And so suffering, disaster, injustice are all common to the human experience, but these things disproportionately affect vulnerable communities. And so what Lamentations 4 does is it lays bare this reality by naming the effects of the siege on the children of Jerusalem. Because it's difficult to find more vulnerable populations than children. And so perhaps... Lamentations chapter 4 is an invitation for us to first recognize this reality. That if we aren't there yet in our spiritual journey where we can with confidence say that this is in fact true, that in a broken world it is the most vulnerable that suffer the most, perhaps the invitation of Lamentations chapter 4 is simply to say this is in fact the case. To, hum- to humble ourselves before God and seek out the truth of this by the Spirit of God and say, on, based on my position of privilege in the world, am I exempted from some levels of suffering that my more vulnerable neighbors are not? And I'm pretty sure that what will come back from the spirit of truth 
is that the spirit of truth will in fact say yes. Your privilege protects you from certain things and certain experiences in this broken world. So the first, we just need to recognize this, to admit out loud that we are less affected by an event because of our wealth, because of our access to health care, because the color of our skin, like all of these kinds of things. But then, but then to go on and to see and to know that the invitation of God, that the very heart of God demonstrated to us in the one who became flesh and became a servant, it's an invitation to know that the very heart of God is to participate in the caring of these vulnerable communities. In whatever ways that we can, in whatever channels and mechanisms are appropriate, but for the people of God collectively called the church to be about the business of helping vulnerable communities. Let me tell you a story. I, I think I'm running out of time, but let me tell you a story. About five years ago, well, no, let me go back even further than that. About nine to ten years ago, I learned of this new program in Fort Collins called Faith Family Hospitality. And they sent out communication to all the churches. And I thought to myself, you know, that sounds like a really great program, but a really heavy tax on our volunteers. And so while learning about the program, made a decision not to pursue it. And I admit that and confess that to you today. But then about five years ago, there was kind of a growing um, awareness in me and people in our church that we needed to continue to lean into what it means to love and care and serve uh, some of the underserved in our community. And, and this program, Faith Family Hospitality, came up again. And this time, Having made the mistake once, this time I said, you know what, let's pursue this. And it is a heavy tax on volunteers, and it's a lot to ask of churches. But let's, let's dip our toe in the water, and let's do this, and let's figure it out. And so with the help of coordinators and leaders and um, a, a kind of a group of people committed to making it happen, uh, we began to step into volunteering and participating in uh, Faith Family Hospitality, or now the, what's now called the Family Housing Network. And can I say that over the last five years that we've participated in this program, I, I will often say to the people in the program, this is the most important thing we do as a church. I, I think that this, the FFH is right at the top of some of the most important work that we do. And what I've been thrilled to see is that over the course of five years, not only has our volunteer base not dwindled, and what we hear from other churches is that's really common. Like, the longer you get, the less volunteer interest you have, because it is a tax on volunteers. But not only has our volunteer base not dwindled, it's continued to grow over that five years. That as recently as our last rotation, we had three or four or five new volunteers stepping into the program for the very first time, caring for families, children, who find themselves in a season of homelessness. I would love for us as a church to continue to pursue not only this opportunity, but other opportunities of how we might care for those who are most vulnerable.
Because in a broken world, it's the most vulnerable who suffer the most. And so let me end by saying this. Just when you thought the book of Lamentations was churning a corner toward hope, you get one of the most desperate laments. But true to the book, the author's words of lament to God become part of God's word back to us. And these powerful words reveal that the truth that the world, that reveal part of the truth about the world and what it means for us to be people of faith in it. And so my prayer is that we would listen carefully and that we would live faithfully. Amen. Amen. Let me say a word of prayer and then I'll lead us to the Lord's table today. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this book of Lamentations that for many of us has not gotten much attention in our spiritual lives. It's, um, it's a book that can, can be very difficult to read. And yet, Lord, when we recognize it as part of your word to us of what it means to live faithfully through the whole of human experience, we find that there is tremendous truth in it. And so God, today help us to internalize these three observations. And perhaps there's one more than the others that is resonating in our hearts today. We pray, God, that you would speak to us and lead us. Lead us not just in, in new ways of thinking, but Lord, lead us in new ways of being in the world that we might experience the abundant life that you have promised. For God, we confess and we recognize today that as Christians, we believe that the best way of being in the world is to follow your teachings, to center our lives on things like love and mercy, forgiveness and hope. So God, help us and be with us now as we gather around the Lord's table. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.